Welcome to the fourth episode of the Australian Deer Podcast. I'm Barry Howlett and I'm the Executive Officer of the Australian Deer Association. Joining me today will be Danny Eddybowles. Danny's a lifelong hound hunter from Gippsland in Victoria and is the man who introduced me both to deer hunting and to the ADA many years ago. Danny has represented the interests of hound hunting in government forums and directly with politicians and has an excellent reputation for both his common sense approach and his ability to articulate issues in a compelling way. As we near the middle of the Victorian hound hunting season, we thought that Danny would be the best person to have on to delve into this fascinating and often misunderstood form of hunting. Welcome, Danny. Thanks, Barry. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. I suppose we'll start the podcast with a bit of background on yourself. Who are you, um, your family background and your hunting background? Yeah, no worries. Um, it sounds... Uh Sounds pretty interesting when you read it out like you did, mate, but I was, unlike uh, a lot of people of today, I was basically born into the deer hunting sort of family or fraternity, and uh, I've had it in the the family all my life, Uh, especially on the hound hunting side of things, which a lot of people nowadays um, just pick up and and run with because it's so popular. So our family's been on second, third generation bush logger type environment that uh, that's evolved from there. Obviously, that's where my father picked it up and, and myself and my brother and our, our children are going from there. I run a, a real estate business uh, here in country Victoria um, that's quite successful and got a lot of constituents all around the country that uh, we're involved with in that business. Uh, the hunting background obviously stems from when I was a little tacker and uh, and growing up with it as as we all used to i suppose in the country and um here we are a totally different world and a totally different generation today yeah and and as you said there's so many people coming into hunting mature age without that background so for a lot of those people hound hunting would be a complete mystery most of those people are going into deer stalking there's big numbers i think there's five thousand license in hound hunting now but compared to 40,000 licensed deer hunters all up, up from 8,000 a decade ago. So most of those people are going into deer stalking. For those people listening, what is hound hunting? Well, hound hunting's, uh, a, lot of, a lot of people will have seen uh, the old English uh, fox hunting with horses and hounds. It's probably a, a different, a variation of that, if you like, with using scent trailing hounds totally different situation here in, in the in the high country of Victoria than, than running around paddocks on horses, uh, chasing hounds and foxes. But that's probably where its origins come from, I'd say, back in the day. It sort of evolved to what it is now with a team of hunters and a, using a team of hounds that all work together um, in unison to, to try and achieve the, the end result, which is ultimately um, if you can, if you can take a deer on the hunt, that's great. Sometimes we we get two or more or whatever it might be. There's varying scenarios and varying situations uh, nowadays compared with what it used to be. Yeah, that's changed a lot. Certainly, when I started hound hunting with you guys, I think if we got sort of two deer every three weeks, we probably thought we we're doing really, really well. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I can remember. I can remember if we, you know, a good year was you know 15 to 20 deer at best. Um, but it, it's a totally different scenario nowadays with, with the, the amount of deer that are, are in the bush. The opportunity that we have 
as uh, as our sort of lives change and and the opportunity to get up into the bush more often probably is is another another thing. So we often remark that hound hunting is probably the most highly regulated form of any hunting in this country, let alone deer hunting. Can you just run us through a few of the basics of of the laws that are around hound hunting, particularly that sort of don't apply to other hunters? Yeah, sure. We um. It was introduced uh, a little, quite a while ago that uh, hound hunters um, need to do the hound hunting test. Um, so it's a separate test, uh, part of your, your game licence to enable you to um, be able to hunt with hounds. Um, so that's that's the start of it on the, on the hunter side of things. Um, so um, that's, that's changed slightly, but still a requirement for your game licence side of things. The hounds themselves have got to be registered and assessed um, in, in accordance with um, with the ANKC, Australian National Kennel Council, breed standards. Um, so they've got to be registered with the Game Management Authority. Hound owners that own hounds need to have them registered before they can take them hunting and so on. And then on top of that, the laws just around the, the hunting component of, of a hound hunt are pretty strict and um, there's, there's quite a bit to it with with the hound numbers and hunter numbers and what you are and not are not allowed to do. There's also laws around access, so hound hunting doesn't enjoy the access that all other hunting enjoys. Uh, absolutely, the risk factor, I suppose, on the access side of things, uh, the risk factor with with the, the public private interface is always um, something that that hunters need to take into account. Although you are allowed to hunt all state forest, the hound hunter needs to look at the the risk of running hounds in particular areas certainly on the deer stalking side of things we've got national parks um, accessibility for stalking only um, so it's a massive tract of land through victoria that hounds aren't allowed to go or any dogs are allowed to go into there are a lot of restrictions on that on top of that we have a massive wild dog baiting um, yeah, issue program, in victoria yeah. yeah so the baiting program is quite extensive through the state so that influences where we can and can't hunt as well because obviously we don't want our hounds that are so highly valued taking a bait. That plays part. And the other issue is um, seasonal road closures um, locking up through the middle of winter, which is our prime hunting time. Yeah, which is... So it's interesting to look at. Yeah, theoretically, there's all this state forest, but there's not really because... No. You know, if you hunt that fringe country, things can turn to custard pretty quickly with dogs. Absolutely. And all those other factors you touched on. Um, which leads us into what does a hound hunt look like? Um, if for the uninitiated, I had to describe this to someone a week or, two or so ago and did my best, I'm hoping you would do a lot better than <laughs> I did. But um, for someone who's come down from Planet Zog and you've got to describe hound hunting to them, how does it work? What, what happens? Basically, um, pick an area where, where you plan to hunt. Nowadays, Go on a paper maps. Now we, we look at it on, on Google Maps or Google Earth, if you like, um, any of them types of mapping programs. Formulate a strategy on where you want to hunt or where, where you think the deer are going to be. Very similar to what you do when you go deer stalking. Um, you still got to find the deer at the end of the day. Set up your, your hound, your hunter crew around particular areas, um, whether it's a big galley system or a, or a big system um, that's going to flow into a particular area 
you strategically position your hunters in, in positions that where the deer is likely to cross, game trails, river or creek systems, saddles on ridges, places where it's going to be potentially easier for a deer to run um, whilst we're hunting it. Obviously, we're going to, we, we set, the, we set the, um, the team up or, or the team might go out and, and have a look and try and find a deer to start with and then set up based on where the deer are on a, at that particular time. And When you say find a deer, you don't mean physically? No, no, not very, be very uh, lucky if you see the deer, but find the sign of the deer, find evidence of, of where they've been feeding uh, maybe the, the night before or tracks um, on, on game trails or any, anything like that, that that shows where a deer may have been recently. The, the sign of the deer needs to be relatively fresh, certainly within, certainly in, in a lot of cases, need to be within the last sort of eight to 10 hours if you've got some really, really good cold trailing hounds. Um, but in a lot of cases, you need to find a deer where a deer has been within the last three to five hours. Um, so the scent of the deer is still strong enough for the hounds to work. Once we've, we've ascertained that deer are in a particular area, we'll usually lead, lead the hounds in, let the hounds go on, on a scent or a scent line, and they obviously work the scent. The deer will eventually, um, if it's bedded, will we'll start moving off and um, then the hunt's on. And hopefully it, it finds its way to one of our, one of our hunters and, and, and they, they dispatch it. A lot of the time that's not the case. <laughs> I wish it was that simple. Uh, a lot of the time they'll, uh, the deer will, will get past us because we're trying to cover a massive, massive piece of land. And it's easy, you, you can be 50 metres out of position of, of where the deer cross and you won't even see it or you'd be lucky to hear it. And, and the hounds themselves are usually, in a lot of cases, at least, you know, uh, a few minutes behind the deer. And as the hunt goes on, usually the deer gets further in front of the hounds, in particular if you've got older older type hounds. Now, the younger, hunt, younger hounds will, will have more stamina and, and keep the momentum up with the deer. If the deer's not dispatched whilst it's on the move, a lot of the times the hounds will bail the deer. So um, in essence, the, the deer will stop. A lot of the time in a creek or a gully or, or somewhere where it decides that uh, it's going to have a spell and it will just stand there and the hounds will stand there and just bark or voice consistently at the deer. And then hopefully one of our hunters uh, gets close enough to walk in and dispatch the deer. While the deer's doing this, so while this is taking progress and these hounds are running behind it, making a heap of noise, making it move, and the deer's still being a deer, isn't it? It's still very alert to human presence and our scent. And uh, absolutely, absolutely. It, it, that, the Samba deer is is uh, 120% on its game. It knows that it's game on. Uh, we're, we're talking about a, a species that's only, only other predator in, in the world is, is a tiger. So they have to be very, very alert and very, very aware. So they use every possible avenue they can uh, to elude the hounds. They'll turn, they'll use the water, they'll swim down rivers to lose their scent. They'll run back down their own track to try and confuse the hounds. And that happens more, more often than not, especially in drier country. Um, they're very, very good at doing that. So they're very, very elusive animals. And just because they're being um, pursued 
with some hounds doesn't mean that it's game over for them. Um, it's actually it's game on. Certainly a lot different and they're a lot more alert than when, when we're stalking them um, as such. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's been that impression. Detractors of hound hunting will say, oh, well, it's, it's easy work and the dogs just bring the deer to you. But to consistently take deer over hounds, you've actually got to be doing all of the things that you do to successfully stalk a deer, as well as reading the hounds and reading the hunt. And Absolutely. There's a lot more involved. As I said earlier, you've got to use a lot of them skills that we, we need to use while we're stalking to, to find where the deer is living or, or has been and find a sign and read the sign before you can even think about taking the hounds in and, and um, starting a hound hunt. Um, then once the, hound, the hunt's on, well, you've got to read the play, so to speak, like a game of football. You've got to try and make moves, strategic moves at the right times to try and dispatch the deer as soon as you possibly can. And the other big aspect of hound hunting that I really enjoyed when I was when I was right into it and still enjoy great friendships is that community aspect, that team camaraderie. It's, it's sort of unlike anything else, certainly unlike anything else I've experienced in hunting. Can you just talk us through a bit about how a hound crew works? Yeah, for sure. To me, for me, it was playing a lot of football in my younger day. It was was a perfect transition into the into the even though I was already in that environment. Uh, it gave me that that satisfaction um, and that personal need, I suppose, of the interaction with with the other guys and ladies and kids um, that we all have in our hound in our crews or teams, if you like, uh, because everyone's so diverse. We have massive range of, of where people's backgrounds come from, what their work situation is and what their family environment is. And it's great just to interact with different people from different walks of life that have got the same hobby or, or, or um, interest, if you like, at the same time. We've got, like myself, I'm a, I'm a, a, a business owner and, and manager of people. We've, we've got other people just in my in our in our hound team we've, we've got people that are in similar situations with their own businesses but in different fields trades earth moving uh, professional people I know solicitors doctors ambulance yeah. drivers public servants public servants the whole the whole shebang all the, all the way through and um, and it's and then there's no age barrier um, Yes, it does get harder as you get older in, in bigger country, but there's still a role for everyone. We, we've got guys that are that are certainly in their mid to late mid seventies, and and have had guys in their eighties. Folks who I thought when you first took me up to that camp, I thought they were old then. Yeah, yeah, they're getting real old now, but they they all still they all play their like a game of football again. They play their role, they do their part, and uh, and it all comes together, and, and we're there for the same thing. And uh, it's just like a, it's basically a second family for me. Um, and and I'd, I'd say that most other guys that have their own team of hounds and hunters um, would, would say the same thing because we spend so much time together, especially during this, this season that we have. I think if people are getting into deer hunting, it's a really great way to build a community of hunters and to learn your craft. Yeah. Um, you learn an awful lot about hunting from just hunting with a lot of people with a lot of experience. Yeah, for sure. You know, they're always, generally speaking, um, whether whether a hunter is is just a novice and they're they're in there for their their first you know half a dozen hunts, 
they're, they're constantly learning, but they're learning a lot faster than what they would going out the bush, stumbling around, trying to work out what's what, but just by themselves. And a lot of, look, a lot of people are comfortable with that, but there's certainly a fast track to, to your skill and, and knowledge. Um, you're seeing more deer, you're seeing more sign. And, and you're learning you're learning a lot more um, from the other hunters that have been doing it for a long time and you, you learn how they are actually operating or, or acting whilst the hunt's on to get the end result. So, And it always has been a fast track for people to learn learn the craft. There's no, there's no two ways about that. Moves us into, um, we've talked a bit about the old days. There's been advances in hound hunting um, before my time when I started earlier. Sundowner UHF 12 channel radio. Before that, they had the big Lafayette sets with the aerials that stretched out to the heavens. Um, I'm not sure if anyone ever successfully spoke to each other on think, those old things. I, I think you could yell to each other better across a gully than what you could with them old things, but that's that was technology at the time. And and fortunately enough, I've, I've seen that from, from basically go from back then being involved with it since the 70s through to what we've got now. Um, the technology keeps evolving. It is unbelievable. We, we look back now and just laugh. We, we hunt the same areas as what we hunted 30 plus years ago. We didn't have GPS tracking collars that we have now. We had, we had nothing on the hounds. Um, and if we're lucky, like you say, we had an AM handheld radio or, or a whiz being UHF radio when they first came out um, to be able to communicate with each other. But where we are now with GPS tracking on the hounds and the capacity of the, the UHF radio that we use now is, is phenomenal compared with where we were even 10 to 15 years ago. Um, the way it's grown is, is unbelievable. I personally, am on, I think we're on our fourth or fifth different lot of GPS tracking collars for the hounds as they bring out new versions. We, we, I'm a bit of a sucker for that. I like to test things out. But the, the stuff we have now is, is phenomenal and excellent for hound recovery. We only had, just this Saturday gone, we had our first hound out overnight. It was only because he, an old hound that had stopped in the bush at uh, one of our carcasses. And we went back up to him in the morning and, and he'd, he'd actually come out to us. But that was the first one since April that we've had. In the olden days, it was almost a weekly occurrence that we'd be there for two days looking for hounds and guessing where they were. Yeah, and reasonably regularly. Yeah, we'd be in the ute after work on a Wednesday night. Burning diesel like it was going out of fashion. This doesn't happen now. We, we know how far they travel now. The hounds won't be doing any more than what they used to do. It's just that we know more about their performance and what they're doing and where they're heading, which is a great tool to have whilst you're hound hunting especially if you're hunting in areas that are working towards that, that private land interface, you know where you've got to go to cut the deer off or cut the hounds off in particular if, if they're heading into an area where you don't want them to go. You can get in front of the hound and catch the hound. As I said earlier, usually the deer's a reasonable way in front of the hound. If they get out of the system or the area you're hunting, it's usually try and catch the hound and, and uh, go back to... Plan A. Like everything else, it's like you said, in the last 20 years, I mean, everything with technology is just... It's amazing. You know, if I could reanimate my grandparents and show them the technology <laughs> we're using today, it's like we're from another planet. Yeah. Um, hound hunting's unfortunately been the front line for people who have wanted to ban 
hunting. Um, on duck hunting cops a fair bit too, but certainly with deer hunting, hound hunting, and the ADA certainly sees hound hunting as the thin end of the wedge. Um, there was a big attempt in the mid-80s, um, the two, mid-2000s again, when I sort of got involved in ADA and in hound hunting. We um, were, I was thinking about this morning, we were hunting, I was hunting with you and we are hunting, we had um, Mac, and Jess, Pluto, like we had, we had a little crew going, some really, really good hounds, mm. having some really good, enjoyable, successful hunts. Yeah. And with the stroke of a pen, that was over and, yeah. and yeah. life had to start again. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I wrote my first letter to a, a politician in 1985 when hound hunting was actually banned. And it's scary when you say that, but that's exactly what you said. So um, when you were one year old. Yeah, yeah. I was only a little fun. I think with hound hunting, we always... In the public eye, you, it's a very visual activity. People can see a hound box on the back of a, of a, of a ute driving down the road and straight away they'll, they'll go, it might be a, it, might, it could be a cattle dog crate on the back of a ute, but straight away it's a negative response, uh, there's, a, there's a hound hunter or there's a hound hunter's ute. It is very visual and, uh, and it is one of them things that it's just how it is. When they're on the war path and they're after after something, yes, we, we probably only play second to duck hunting. I don't know why because I, I don't see a problem with it, but obviously other people do. I think the fact that it is quite visual, yeah, yeah, and it, and makes it an easy target. When we're up in the bush in the high country or, or wherever we might be, when there's a group of hunters together, you know, there's a big camp and there's a whole heap of vehicles around and all that sort of stuff. So. Can be intimidating, I suppose, for some for the for the average Joe that's around four wheel driving or, or camping. But honestly, we we're up there doing our own thing, and 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 so it is it is in the public eye consistently. And the more and more the general public is getting in the bush, like the the amount of tourism four wheel drive groups that are now up in the bush, we're seeing people every day in the bush. It's, it's nothing like it used to be. Uh, you touched on the track closures earlier. The other thing that's happened, of course, is the tracks that are still open are quite good. Yeah. Um, but th that's that risk aversion. If a track's at, at all dicey, they put a gate over it and lock us out of it. Every second car on the road's a four-wheel driver of some description, and there's, the tracks are pretty easy for a novice four-wheel driver to get around and see us, and it wasn't that way like, 20 years ago. No, it certainly wasn't. And as you say, the... The again, technology, the comfort of the of the four wheel drive is certainly nothing like it used to be, and the efficiency of them is certainly nothing like it used to be. So that's that's seeing more and more people accessing the forest. People want to get out of the hustle and bustle. Um, unfortunately, and, and it's great for them, but unfortunately, they don't know a lot about the heritage and, and what actually has been going on in the bush for, in many cases, over a hundred years. There is a lot more people in the bush and uh, out there enjoying it, and we've we've just got to come to terms with that and get used to um, sharing the bush with with other people. Yeah, the world has changed. It has. It certainly has. Um, a big part of hound hunting, and it goes back to that team aspect. It's a really good part of hound hunting, particularly when you shoot a deer, is the carry out and the cut up. So it's a good part when you shoot a deer because instead of one person struggling to lump a big samba out of the bush, you've typically got many hands. Um, how important is that and the use of the meat to the people who hunt, hunt over hounds? 
when they get a samba on the on the deck, they they soon come to realise that the work starts then. The easy part was actually the hunt. Certainly in a hound crew, it's it's great because your many hands make light work, and um, a lot of the areas that we hunt are uh, on foot only. Um, so having them near near to a vehicle is sometimes it's normal, but other times it's it's a decent carry out. So we touched on before the rookie or, or the rookie type hunters that are just starting up, they get to learn the cutting up or the, the um, division of, of the carcass, um, how to do that. If it's a stag, uh, a trophy stag that, that someone's taken, they certainly learn how to cape an animal um, reasonably quickly. Whereas if they're out doing it by themselves, they, um, they'll only learn the day that they shoot one. Uh, other than that, they've got, they've got videos to watch. So the hands-on aspect of that side of things um, is very, very good. I've seen even older guys that have been hunting all their lives learn new methods from other hunters in the breakdown of the carcass or, or the butchering once once we have a cut up. Um, we, we generally um, have, a, have a cut up and, and butcher the, the venison uh, midweek. The following week, we let it hang in the cool room and that's, that's great. That's another bit of a social gathering, I suppose, uh, midweek. And, uh, and we break it right down to what we want to process it into at the time, whether it's, you know, everything from mince through to prime roast cuts or steaks, schnitzels, uh, you name it, we do it. Um, it. It's a very clean meat. It's very popular. Um, certainly in our group, it's very popular. We, we process a lot of meat. The typical hand crew's got a fair bit of gear at someone's house. So we go to your shed, there's a fair bit of a mini butcher shop set up, I suppose. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, yeah, cool rooms and stainless steel benches and mincers and slicing machines and schnitzel uh, tenderizers and you know it's there. <laughs> um, I won't ask you about how much it costs to keep dogs. I noticed your wife Cindy making a comment on social media the other week about the cost of keeping hands so she knows because she's been around it for a long time but it, it is um to have a form of hunting that's 24 7 365 it just becomes another part of your life um, we can't just pack the hounds up and put them away when we finish hunting you know it's not like your rifle in your backpack when you finish stalking for the summer or whatever it might be you can't just put them in your in your gun cabinet and get them out next time you want to go hunting we've we've got to maintain them feed them and and uh and look after the hounds because they look after us it is scary to to add up the numbers um, but you know, for those of us that are fortunate to be able to do it, it's it's just another another fact of life. You're doing something you love doing, and yeah. Uh, so I'd, rather, I'd rather I'd rather be doing it, Baz, than be down the pub every week and blowing a whole heap of money there. Yeah. At, least, at least it's 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 clean, healthy fun, and uh, and we enjoy it. There's been a uh, been issues over oh, again. It's been building up over years, but there's beginning to be some issues with local councils and. There's all those sorts of challenges that hound hunters have to deal with in, in housing their dogs and in increasing government regulation that's probably aimed at other people, aimed at puppy farms and people like that that you get caught up in. So yeah, there's that, all those challenges to deal with. Yeah, that, that's unfortunate. But it, again, it's a fact of life. We just we just keep uh, jumping through the hoops we need to jump through. The, yeah, the Domestic Animals Act, um, the, the big reform they had with that, um, has certainly caused some issues in the last 10 years or so for, for a lot of 
um, hound owners and the implementation of the Domestic Animal Act by local councils varies immensely to what components they they implement and what components they don't. So we can have hound owners in one shire um, that have got to comply with one part of the Domestic Animals Act and then in the next shire they they don't have to comply with it or they might only have to comply with certain components of it. So yes, there's other, other forms of regulation that we've got to work with as well. I suppose we've got to be careful about asking for certainty because when you get certainty, it normally all goes up to what's considered to be the highest standard. And um, of course, of course, as I said, that's that's just another thing that we have to work around and, and deal with. Um, hound hunting is a very, in my view, a very efficient measure of controlling overabundant deer. Um, that's not why people do it. Um, that's not the motivation for going hound hunting. It's not because you've got this overwhelming desire to reach certain deer densities in certain places, but it certainly does do that. Um, ODA is involved in a number of deer control programs with Parks Victoria, with other land managers, and we quite often mentioning hound hunting as a potential control measure. We've seen a fair bit of controversy in Victoria about aerial culling of deer in a lot of areas um, and keep putting up. Land managers seem to be really reluctant to take hound hunting on as a control measure. Um, it seems like a really logical thing to do from a cost point of view, from a social benefit point of view. You got any thoughts on theories on why you think that is? I think a lot of the, uh, the persona, if you like, around hound hunting is through other people's opinions and it's just fed down through the, through the chain. Certainly as a, as a control measure, I don't think there's anything better um, because it's a non-discriminative form of hunting. Certainly in a lot of cases, um, knock the numbers down in, in any area that, that's hunted. Certainly there are some of the big, bigger hound crews that I know personally can tip over some considerable numbers in a day compared with them high cost sort of measures that have been used, as you say, the aerial culling and things like that. And the hound, the hound crew, in my opinion, can certainly do that with ease um, and, and at very little cost. And, and when you go back to that technology, they can do it without dogs ending up where they're not meant to be and, and all those advances over the last decade or so could make that a really effective... Um, and look, it's it's probably on people like me whose job it is to advocate to, to tell that story better and paint that picture better. Certainly the risk factor is very low compared with how it was only through technology and it's it's definitely something that, that needs to be considered and looked at. I know it's been considered but it's certainly something that needs to really come up at, at the front of a lot of this um, um, culling discussion. Yeah that's about all I've got. Um, any other thoughts, any final thoughts you wanted to finish with or something you think I missed? No not really mate, it's, uh, it's great catching up and um, it's certainly uh, it's something that I enjoy discussing as it's part of life for me and, uh, and, my, and my family um, and a lot of families around the place um, are heavily involved in it. A little bit less uh, regulation and, and a bit more uh, hunting opportunity for hounds would be nice, but as we know, it's not as easy as just uh, asking for some more country. But I think with the, the amount of um, hound hunters that are now out and about, certainly we notice that we're, we're, we hunt because we've been hunting there for so long access to, to other other areas, in particular areas that have, that have been closed with, with um, road closures 
um, is an issue during the season. So as as that becomes the land area available for hunting becomes more compressed, certainly it's it's something that needs to be considered and looked at. Well, um, thanks for joining us today, Danny. Um, if you're on the fence or if you've never tried hand hunting, you get the opportunity. Um, I'd certainly encourage anyone to do it. As I said at the intro, it was Danny and his family who introduced me to to this life in deer hunting and, and nurtured me and brought along those skills, and it's something that I really appreciate. Uh, thanks, listeners, for joining us on this podcast. If you want any more information, we'll put some show notes on the ADA website, and I might hit Danny up for a few photos of him and his crew and his hounds. Uh, so that's www.austdwer.com.au. We've got a fair bit coming up in the next couple of months, so stay tuned for a couple more podcasts with uh, some of our international guests, hopefully. As always, follow us on social media and stay tuned to the ADA website for the latest news and views in the hunting scene. Thanks for listening.